Amen. So good to see you here this morning. You can be seated. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Let's pick up in verse 15. We'll read two verses. Luke 3, 15 and 16. And as the people were in expectation and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, this is John the Baptist, John answered saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now John the Baptist, the Bible describes, Jesus describes, as the greatest of all prophets. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read it to you. Jesus was speaking to John the Baptist later. But what, what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For, for I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said of John the Baptist. Now, I don't necessarily think he means in, in the sense of greater, in the sense that, uh, you know, his prophecies or something like that, but, but what he was called to do was in, in, in announcing the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born of, in, a, in a supernatural way, not born of a virgin, but born of a supernatural way, and God called him and used him for a very specific purpose, and he fulfilled that purpose. But he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, a messenger sent before the Lord's face. The Bible says, Jesus said, the greatest of prophets, he preached righteousness, he preached repentance, he fearlessly rebuked the Pharisees. He says, who has warned you to flee the wrath to come, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance? He fearlessly rebuked Herod and says, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. But this man who is commissioned by God, filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Now, I don't want to try to attempt to explain that doctrinally, how it lines up with, with others, but God can do whatever he wants. That's how I explain that. He was called in, uh, for a purpose, filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb, privileged and called to announce the coming of the Messiah. He is the one that literally stood there and said when he saw him coming, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he actually is the one that was allowed to or called to baptize the Lord Jesus Christ in the Jordan River. Now, the reason I'm saying all that about John the Baptist is because this man, I guess for lack of a better term, still knew his place. I don't mean that in a bad way. This man still knew his place before God, that Christ was Lord and he was not. When the people came out and asked him and said, are, are you that that prophet that should come, that was the Messiah that was Moses spoke of. That prophet, are you, uh, who are you? you? Who are you? Are you that prophet? Are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. He says, I'm not. Okay, I'm not the Christ. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his path straight. He knew his place before the Lord. Humble, I would say, and not haughty. Powerful, but not prideful called by the Lord, but not casual with the Lord. This is really what I want us to talk about. He was actually allowed to touch the Lord, handle the Lord. Like I said, he was the one 
of all people that, you know, that need to be baptized. We know Jesus wasn't baptized for sins, for repentance of sins. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And so he submitted to that. And it was, that was his baptism that started. The Holy Ghost ascended in the form of a dove. The voice from heaven, the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And his, his ministry started. Well, he went to the wilderness to be tempted first and then came back down. Uh, filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. But John the Beloved, not, not John the Baptist, he said in the beginning of 1 John 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. They were, they were nearest to the Lord, I guess he would say. And John would have been, even in that inner circle of Peter, James, and John, that got to experience things that the others didn't. And even among them, there's John. The Lord on the cross says, you know, take care of my mother, basically, when he's down on the cross. And these people were with the Lord and nearest to the Lord. And I think being nearest to the Lord and nearer to the Lord is going to make us more humble before the Lord. I just want to talk about this this morning, but there's much that you and I could learn. And I would say that the modern day Christian could learn from John the Baptist and from John the Beloved and other men and women of God. And specifically in this, and how they approached the Lord. How they approached the Lord. How they viewed God and how they viewed themselves. Even as believers, even in Christ, how they viewed the Lord and how they viewed themselves in comparison to God. I guess you could say they understood, they grasped it, they saw and knew that as blessed as they were and, and recipients of the blessings of God as they were, He was still Lord of all. And they were not. And I want us to, to talk that this humility before the Lord, I think, is very important. And I think it's very missing a lot, very much absent in a lot of Christianity today. As blood-bought saints of God, we are blessed beyond measure. We are blessed beyond measure. And the Bible says that we are joint heirs with Jesus. We're rightful heirs because of the righteousness of Christ. Rightful heirs to to the kingdom. You and I have a right to come into God's presence without fear of condemnation. We have a right to come into his presence with full assurance that we're accepted. We have a right to come into God's presence boldly, but we must never forget that he is God and we're not. And you say, well, I know that, but sometimes in our attitude, and what I would say, modern-day Christianity and our attitude and coming before the Lord, I, I consider it to be uh, too casual, too casual, that there's not a holiness and a reverence for the Lord and for the things of God. And that must be there. It's, it's sorely missing in Christianity as a whole, I believe, and in our country. We must never forget that, that He is God. And you know what we are? We're men and women who have been redeemed by God. We're men and women who were created by God in his image. And in our fallen sinful state, he sent his son to redeem us. That's who and what we are. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. There's just a, we can be blessed beyond measure and still be humble. We can be blessed beyond, blessed beyond measure and still not forget the difference between Almighty God 
and sinful men who have been graciously redeemed by the Lord. We are partakers of his divine nature, like we talked about in Sunday school, but there's, he'll always be God and will always be men created in his image and redeemed by him, by the blood of Jesus, always. And again, I just see sometimes such a, a, a lack of that reverence to come before the Lord. He is holy. We're, we're men who are called to be holy. He's holy through and through. We're men who have been redeemed and filled with the Holy Ghost, but we're called to be holy as he is holy. He's already holy and sinless and blameless and perfect. We're called to be that. He is from everlasting to everlasting God. We're not. We've been given the gift of eternal life. We're going to spend eternity with him. But he is from everlasting to everlasting God. He can make us holy by his working in our hearts and lives. But I think of Isaiah. Even this man Isaiah, who was a good man, he was a righteous man before the Lord. He was that before uh, Isaiah chapter 6 when we read that in the year that King Uzziah died, I, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated upon his throne, his train filled the temple, right? And he, when he saw the Lord in that state and saw himself in his state, he says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, I'm undone. When he saw the Lord and the Lord says, you know, the angel takes the coal from up before the altar and touches his lips and says, this is cleanse thee, your sins. And my point is that there was, there was that reverence and holiness. There's always that separation of who he is and what we are. But yet we're made near through the blood of Jesus. It's a remarkable thing. But for us to always remember that he's God and we're not. We've been given the gift of eternal life, but he's from everlasting to everlasting he is almighty. He is almighty. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. What are we called? We're called to be strong in the Lord in the power of whose might? His might. He's already almighty. We're called to be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. You and I can do all things how? Through Christ who strengthens us. And we just don't need to get the big head, I guess is what I'm saying. We need to be, have a confidence that we're loved. We're not what we were before we were saved. The blessings of being a Christian and being in Christ are beyond measure. But there's still the fact remains that he's God and we're not. We're men created in his image. He is merciful to sinners. And guess what? We're sinners who are in need of mercy. He is merciful to sinners. We're the sinners over here in need of the mercy of God. The Bible says we've obtained, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He loved, we love the Lord only because he first loved us. He inhabits eternity. He inhabits heaven. We will live forever with the Lord in, he in heaven, eternally, because he saved us and fit us for heaven. That's the only way we're going to be there. He is Alpha and Omega. He says, Behold, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and of death. We live only because he lives. We live only because he lives. We have peace in our hearts and minds because he gives it to us. We'd be out of our minds. We have peace in our hearts and minds because he's the God of all peace, 
and he's the peace of, and we allow him to rule and the peace of God to rule in our hearts. We're part of his family and members of his body, the Bible says. It's only because he made us that. He made us part of his family and set us in the body. Now, for, now therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, says in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. There's no place for arrogance in Christianity. There's no place for haughtiness. There's no place for getting prideful. There's no place for getting the big head. The nearer we get to God, the more humble we ought to be before the Lord, before God and men. No place for arrogance and haughtiness in the pulpit or in a Sunday school class or, or singing a song or playing an instrument or, or whatever it may be or because how much money we have or anything. There's no place for haughtiness. The nearer we get to God, the more we're going to be like him and the more we're going to bow before him. It, our, humili our humility and humbleness of mind is going to start in, our, in the presence of God. When we see him for who he is and us for what we were and are you know, what we were without the Lord. He, we're always going to be grateful. We're always going to be thankful. We're going to be humble before the Lord. There's just no place to get lifted up in ourselves. What's the point of all this? The point is that we're loved by God unconditionally. We're accepted in the beloved as believers. We're counted, the Bible says, as friends of God. Jesus called Abraham his friend. And the Lord also said to his disciples, henceforth I call you no, call you no more servants, but I call you friends. Because I'm making, no, he says, a, a master doesn't make everything known to his servants what he's going to do. But I'm telling you what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm including you as being friends. We can boldly and cheerfully and legally, as we talked about in Sunday school, when we talked about justification, legally come into the very presence of Almighty God. But there must always be a very keen awareness of who he is and what we are and what we were without him. I think it's absent in a lot of places in Christianity. There's a holy fear of God. People don't talk about the fear of the Lord anymore, do they? You don't hear a lot about the fear of God. That's a good thing, by the way. It's a good thing. A reverence a humility before the Lord. I think T. Austin Sparks put it this way. He talks about the altogether otherness of Christ. Just let that sink in. He's altogether other than we are. Altogether otherness of Christ. And he's invited us and allowed us and made it possible to be in Christ and have his spirit living in us and be a partaker of the divine nature and be part of his family but there's an altogether otherness about the Lord, uncreated, eternal. We could go on and on, perfect in love, perfect in holiness. He is that. And there must be on our part a humility before him, not a false humility, not hanging our head all the time and pouting, uh, but a real genuine humility before the Lord in our hearts. That must never, uh, there must always be that, a clear distinction of, uh, between who he is as the uncreated God and who and what we are in Christ. So I'm not at all seeking to minimize what we are in Jesus, who he is, who we are, and who we, he's made us, but I'm trying to remind us of the need for, great need for a godly fear and humility and a reverence before the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that we're lacking that necessarily in this church. It's just something I see 
and that the Lord impressed upon my heart. He's uncreated and perfect. We're called to be perfect as he is perfect. He invites us to come unto him by faith through the blood of Jesus. And who provided? He provided that for us. It's, it's, to me, I'm just kind of thinking about the, the fear of God, a humility before the Lord, a reverence to God, a thanks, thankfulness towards the Lord, till we come before God in our, in our right place. We have that privilege to come, but we need to come reverently. We need to come with thanksgiving in our hearts. For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. That's what it says in Ephesians, through him. We, have, we both have access by one Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, unto the Father. Who made a way for us to have access to God Almighty, the Lord Jesus? He says, I'm the door. By me, if any man enters in, he'll, he shall be saved. You know, come in and out and find pasture. It's through his flesh, the veil of his flesh that was torn. Where is there a place for haughtiness? Where is there a place for arrogance? There's none. There's none. I heard a preacher say one time, and I know I've said it before, but the only thing we can rightfully call our own is our sin. My health, well, God gave me my health. You know, whatever we have, what do we have that we didn't receive from the Lord? We can't boast in any of it. We can be thankful to God for it. But uh, the only thing I can rightfully call my own is my own sin. And Jesus' blood washes that away when we come to him. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We all know the passage. I'm just going to read uh, the last three verses of this chapter, 14 through 16 of Hebrews 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A couple of things I want to look at from the scripture. We come before the Lord to his throne of grace that we may obtain grace and mercy. Okay? He doesn't need grace and mercy. He doesn't need it. He gives it. Okay? There's a difference in the distinction between God and man, and even God and saved men, okay? We can now, through the blood of Jesus, we have access through the Holy Ghost and through the blood to come into his throne room that we may obtain grace and mercy. Many today, I believe, pervert the grace of God, for example, and, and they, in the same way that men pervert the grace of God, I think that men pervert, pervert this to the extent where they're too casual in coming into the presence of the Lord. Too casual in coming into the presence of the Lord. Too lax. And we forget who we are and who he is and what he's made us graciously when he redeemed us, what he made us. There's a lack of godly humility when people speak about God. Those that claim to know Christ, they may or may not. I'm not saying that they're not Christians. A lack of godly humility when men speak about God. There's a lack of godly humility when people sing songs to the Lord a lot of times and the words that they use and the songs that they write and so forth. There's a lot of godly humility when people speak on his behalf, speak about God or to him. A casual attitude. 
And I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that with John the Beloved. I don't see that with John the Baptist. I don't see that with those that were closest to him on this whole planet. I don't see that. I see a reverence. And I see a humility, a godly humility. And I see a godly fear. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 10, he's sending his disciples out for the first time on a, a little short mission trip. He said, freely receive, freely give. And he says, you're going to be, they're going to take you and they're going to persecute you. And it wasn't just speaking about that trip, by the way. That was just life of Christianity. You're going to be persecuted and hated by all men for my name's sake. And they're going to bring you before councils and judgment seats and so forth. And he says, fear none of those things. Don't fear him. Don't fear man. And he goes on to say, don't fear him who can destroy the body but not the soul. But fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That is the Lord, by the way. It's not the devil, and it's certainly not men. The Lord who can destroy both body and soul in hell. He says, fear him. Fear him. David says, the transgressions of the wicked tells me, and I'm paraphrasing, tells me that there's no fear of God before their eyes. He watched the sinners keep committing sin. He said, they don't have any fear of God. That's the problem. They can keep committing sin because there's no fear of God before them. But the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom beginning of knowledge, the beginning of understanding. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil, is what the Bible says. And so we're to fear God and live a holy, reverential fear. And so we can come boldly into his presence, but we're still not to be casual or irreverent in his presence. I see today a lack, uh, a, a lot of people, and I'm not excusing myself when I say that. I'm just talking about as a pastor the condition of a lot of the church. People are casual about their attitude of, of, in obeying the Lord. It's just kind of casual, hit or miss. If I obey God, you know, yeah, I should do it, I know. But there's no real striving after the Lord, no striving to please him in all things. But the Bible says we're to please him in all things. And whatever we do, we're to do to the glory of God. There's this attitude, I don't need to fear God and keep his commandments. I'm under grace. That ain't the grace of God that I read about. Jesus loves me. He's my buddy, basically. He does love us. He loves sinners that are lost in their sin. He loves the, the family of God. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us perfectly. And he does call us friends. That's on his part. He's kind enough to call me his friend. Out of all my life, say, Lord, I can't believe you call me your friend. That ought to be my attitude all my life. I can't believe. Thank you, Jesus. I know you do. I believe it. But I just can't believe that you call me your friend. You understand what I'm saying? I've been unfaithful to you at times, Lord. I've been sinned against you, and I've cursed, and I've done these things, Lord. That's all on his part. There's still on our part ought to be the mercy of uh, the, the humility and the reverence before the Lord. John the Baptist, who is the greatest, Jesus said, the greatest prophet of all. You know what he said? He said, I'm not worthy, y'all, to bend down and untie his shoes. God says of him, he's the greatest prophet that's ever been born of a woman. He says, I'm not worthy to bend down and untie his shoes. That ought to, that's an attitude, gracious attitude of God, and that ought to be my attitude over here of John the Baptist. We are, but there's a continual thanksgiving. There's a continual awe. I can't believe God. 
that you're letting me serve you. I can't believe you're letting me get in this pulpit and preach your holy word. I can't believe you're letting me represent you before other people. I can't believe, you understand what I'm saying? I can't believe that you fill me with your spirit. I can't believe that I can come to this altar and you meet with me every time. We believe it, but you understand what I'm saying? There's a humility. There's a reverence. John says, I'm not worthy. Jesus says, he's the greatest prophet that's ever lived. And John says, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes off his feet. That ought to be my attitude. John's saying, I'm not worthy. He's worthy. Look at him. Look at the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Look at him. Don't look at me. I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Jesus will make much of John when John makes much of Jesus. When we lift him up, he'll lift us up in due time. When we humble ourselves before God, he'll lift us up. Whoever he wants to lift us up in front of, he'll do that. There's a humility that I think is sorely missing. Then come a Jesus from Gal Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? You see what he's saying? He was going to baptize him. He did obey the Lord. He did baptize the Lord Jesus. But John's like, whoa, you got to be kidding me. You're the Lord. I need to be baptized by you. You're coming to me to be baptized? The Lord says, suffer it to be, John. Allow it to be that all righteousness may be fulfilled. But you see John's attitude. That's what I want us to see. John's attitude was that I'm not worthy of that, Lord. You're worthy. I'm not worthy of that, Lord. You're worthy. David, the Lord calls David a man after his own heart. But you know what David thought of himself? He said, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'll just be a doorkeeper. Just put me somewhere in there, somewhere around. Just stick me in there somewhere. He's a man. God made an eternal covenant with David. Eternal covenant. Christ was born literally through the line of David, the lineage of David. And he made an eternal covenant with him that someone on the throne of David, that Christ would sit and reign forever and ever. And yet he's saying, I just, my attitude is I just, I just want to be a doorkeeper. I'd be very content just to be in that house of God somewhere and be around the people of God. When the Lord made that covenant with David, that it is a Davidic covenant that he made, David goes and puts everybody aside, and he goes and sits before the Lord. He just sits there, and he says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord? Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me hither to? That, that ought to be my attitude all my life. And the closer I get to God, that ought to be more my attitude to God, towards God. Who am I, Lord? Why have you chosen me to be part of your family? To be, Why'd you die for me? Why'd you die for me? My sins. Why do you love me? We know he does. We believe it by faith, and we're recipients of it, and we're blessed by it. But that, that ought to be our attitude. Moses was invited at the burning bush. Moses, come near and draw near. But you know what else he was told? Take off your shoes, Moses. This is a holy ground. He was invited near, but take off your shoes. There's still a difference between the God in that burning bush and Moses, okay? And God wants him to know it, but he invites him to draw near. 
take your shoes off. A healthy, holy, biblical, godly fear, I believe, is sorely missing among what is called Christianity today. Again, I'm not excusing myself. You know, a scripture that I heard used sometimes for, for maybe this casual attitude before the Lord is perfect love casts out all fear. So therefore, they don't preach the fear of the Lord because perfect love casts out all fear. Well, the Bible does say that. The Bible says in 1 John 4.18 that perfect love casts out all fear. But that perfect love, that same perfect love, is, it doesn't cast out humility. It doesn't cast out reverence before the Lord. It casts out fear of condemnation. Read it in context. We're not fear, when we come before the Lord, since we're saved and we're washed in the blood of Jesus and robed in his righteousness, I don't have fear of condemnation anymore. That's what the scripture's talking about. And so that perfect love that God loves me and you with cast out all fear of condemnation. I don't have to live in fear of being rejected by the Lord, uh, not allowed to come into his presence today. Maybe I was yesterday, today, today I may not be. Uh, it casts out fear of condemnation, and fear has torment, the Bible says. We're not to live in torment. We've been justified freely by his grace. But it does not cast out godly fear. Godly fear is something that we should always have. The angels that are around the throne of God in his presence have their face covered with their wings. They got, they're flying with two, and they got two covering their face. Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. I'm not to live in fear of condemnation. As born again children of God, we can rest in his love for us. We can rest in him. We can trust in him. We can come before him and know you can come this morning and I can come at any time we want. And know that, that our prayers will be heard. And I'm not going to come to this altar and he says, get out of here. Get out of my presence. Who do you think you are? We're coming through the blood of Jesus. We're accepted in the blood. And I thank God for that. So with full confidence and assurance and boldness. But it's only because of him and what he's done for us. I don't come before him casually in the sense I'm lax. Like I'm just going to see my buddy. You know, uh, I'm, we're coming before the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We're not worthy. He's worthy. Peter, Jesus at the, the Last Supper, he, he girds a, a, a towel around him and he bent down and began to wash, got a basin of water and began to wash the disciples' feet. When he gets to Peter, he, Peter says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. There's no way. He wasn't being arrogant. He was saying, you're the Christ. You're the Lord. He'd already confessed him as Christ. And he's saying, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Washest thou my feet? Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus said, what, what I do is now, you, you don't understand right now, but you will understand it later. If I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. Oh, is that right, Lord? Yes. Well, the Lord, not my feet only, but my, my hands and my head also. Like, I want all of it then, if that's really... But the, the point is that he humbled himself, and he was like, just like John the Baptist, I'm not worthy to untie a shoe. You, you're the one that be, should be baptizing me, Lord. I shouldn't be baptizing you. And here we see Peter, the nose nearest to God, 
that have touched and handled them, their eyes have seen and they've heard and they've handled them, and they're closest to them and they've watched them, those that are nearest to God are going to be those the most humble before the Lord with a reverential fear. Peter, the hist history records, he was martyred for the Lord, he was crucified for the Lord, but he refused to be crucified right side up like his Lord. That Peter was actually crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same death his Lord did. There's a humility, y'all, a humility. Elijah, we've been studying the, this prophet on Wednesday night. The time of the past came. Time to pass came to pass. The time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Elijah the prophet came near and said, "Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and that I am Thy servant." Those that are closest to God, He dwelt. He, the Bible says that Elijah dwelled in the presence of God continually. He stood before the Lord. Whether he's in the wilderness, whether he's in with a widow in Zarephath, whether he's standing before Ahab, whether he's calling down fire from heaven, he's standing before the Lord. He's in God's presence. And he says, let it be known that all these people, all of Israel was gathered together, that you're the God of Israel. I'm just your servant. The unspeakable blessings that we have in Christ and the benefits that we have that he's bestowed upon sinful men that should never be used as a ticket or a license, so to speak, to, to abuse these privileges or be irreverent in God's presence or be too casual or lax when we come before him. I want to close with this. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. You know, we sang the song last Sunday, is he, is he worthy? Anyone worthy? Anyone whole? Right? He is. And, and Alberto read this passage. He read uh, the first 10 verses, I believe. We're going to read a few. But I want us to see this. Look at Revelation 5, 4 and 5. So there's this book that's brought. And John sees this in heaven. And, and we read in verse 4. And I wept much because no man was found worthy. And there's not going to be a man that's found that is worthy. Okay. I wept much. This really grieved him because no man was found worthy to open the book and to read the book, neither to look therein, thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. There's someone that is worthy. There is someone that's worthy, John. To those that are closest to God, there's somebody that's worthy. There's somebody that's worthy. Skip down to verses 9 and 10. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. There's no place in our lives as Christians. I'm not pointing the finger at other people. There's no place in Christianity, in the church, in Cornerstone Church, in your life, in my life, to be arrogant, to come in casually before the Lord. There's always got to be that awareness of him being God and holy. He's worthy. John wasn't worthy. John was, was the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? John was probably the nearest of all the 12 disciples. John's the one that did, didn't uh, die a martyr's death. He died, as far as we know, banished on the island of Patmos for the Lord. 
And yet he still, when he saw the Lord and, and turned around to see the voice that spoke to him, he fell at his feet as dead. There's a godly reverence and fear. And the nearer we get to God, that will be increased in our lives. So let's not come before him casually. Let's be forever thankful that he has reached out. There's a, a scripture that says he condescended to men of low degree. You know what that means to me? He bent down. Because that's where we're condescended. Here's man. We're like little ants down here, you could say. And here's God who's holy and perfect. And he bent down to care for us. And to take care for us. And to check on us. And, and to send his son to die for us. There's a condescending on his part to reach down and lift us up. And to help us. I'll close with this scripture. Indeed, you can come. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. He's high. He has respect unto the lowly. That's us. But the proud he knoweth afar off. Knows him at a distance. I don't want him to know me at a distance. I want to be near to him and him near to me. I thank God for his mercy. Yes, we can come boldly before his throne. We ought to come boldly before his throne. And we ought to come without fear of being rejected or condemnation. But we still can come reverentially. And, and in a worshipful manner and a humility of heart and mind before the Lord. And so, Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. God, these altars are open and you invite men to come through the blood of your Son that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And, Lord, we confess before you we, we're in great need, endless need, God, of your grace and your mercy. And, Father, I, I pray that this sermon, this message was not a, uh, just uh, a rebuke to everyone because I don't I don't feel it, sh it is to be that Lord but I do believe you gave it to our church and, and to us God and to me that we would always be very aware of who and what you are and who and what we were before you saved us God I pray you would instill in your people in this church and around the Christians around the world, God, that there would be a return to a godly fear and reverence in your presence, a godly humility, a forever thankful attitude. Thank you, Jesus. We're not worthy. You're worthy, Lord.